Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we do reopen your holy word, we do so by faith, trusting in you, that as we hear your word preached, and as it is preached, that all will be done by the convincing power and authority and the liberty of the Spirit of the living God. We pray, therefore, Father, that nothing we hear in these next few moments expounded from your word that we'll hear in vain, that it will not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts, but we trust the Holy Spirit will enliven and enlarge our very affections to be so fixed upon the truth of your word, illuminated by it, changed by it, that what we are about to hear will be to the greater furtherance of our sanctification from one degree of glory to another, fashioned even more this day into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is in his name we ask these things. Amen. I invite you this morning to take the word of God and let's turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And reading one verse of scripture which is verse 17. This is a text of scripture I've never preached here at Providence. I have preached on this text in the previous church where I pastored for many years, but never here have I opened up and expounded this particular passage of scripture. Hebrews 13, verse 17 Listen carefully. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. And so reads the holy, infallible, inerrant word of the living, eternal God. In a recent statistic, it was reported that 16,000 pastors leave the ministry every year. The cause for their departure varies, of course, from minister to minister. But overall, overall, the number one reason has been discouragement. Discouragement. Now, to the man and woman sitting in the church pew, this frankly may seem like an absurd reason to leave the ministry. In fact, I can hear many church people thinking to themselves, what 
could pastors possibly be discouraged about? Why, they must have the easiest vocation there is. They work primarily from home, which of course allows them to see their own family on a regular basis. Their main responsibility is to preach every week, and really how difficult could that be? I mean, they just, you know, prepare something to talk about. They, they don't have to punch a clock and answer to an employer who is always looking over their shoulder. And above all, they have more free time than anyone I know to come and go as they please. So what could be discouraging about a job like that? <laughs> well, to any church member who reduces the work of pastoring to such a superficial, shallow, and non-spiritual vocation... As has just been described, they are naive at best and a blockhead at worst. Sadly, though, the aforementioned description of pastoring is how many people in the church judge the ministry to be. Pastoring the church to them is nothing but a cakewalk. In, in, in fact, many church members actually scorn pastoring as not even measuring up to real work, as I've had some People I have pastored in the past quite literally say to me, to my face, what you do is not even real work. And so to, to hear this statistic that 16,000 pastors are leaving the ministry every year due largely to discouragement, frankly, for so many people in the church, this just causes great perplexity. But their perplexity is rooted in an ignorance of what the real work of pastoring the church calls for by God's own mandate. God commands his under-shepherds to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, exercising oversight. When this work is carried out with faithful earnest, it places pastors in a vulnerable position where they are open to the most severe attacks of discouragement and even depression. But why is this? Why? Why is this? Charles Spurgeon once spoke to this very issue as a part of his Friday afternoon lectures to his ministerial students at his pastor's college. He titled this particular lecture, The Minister's Fainting fits. Only Spurgeon could come up with such titles. The minister's fainting fits. And in the course of this message, he addressed the question as to why pastors would succumb to discouragement and depression. And Spurgeon himself was one such pastor who did so. Among a host of answers he gave, one of his responses truly nailed what is at the root of pastoral work and how the nature of this work plays right into grave discouragement. Spurgeon made this observation. Who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes sinking to the dust? Passionate longings after men's conversion, if not fully satisfied, and when are they, consume the soul with anxiety and disappointment. To see the hopeful turn aside, the godly grow cold, professors abusing their privileges, and sinners waxing more bold in sin, are not these sights enough to crush us to the earth? The kingdom comes not as we would. The reverend name is not hallowed as we desire. And for this we must weep. 
How can we be otherwise than sorrowful while men believe not our report and the divine arm is not revealed? All mental work tends to weary and to depress, for much study is weariness of the flesh. But ours, the pastor, ours is more than mental work, it is heart work. The labor of our inmost soul. How often on Lord's Day evenings do we feel as if life were completely washed out of us? After pouring out our souls over our congregations, we feel like empty earthen pitchers which a child might break. Well put. As Spurgeon rightly said, The work of pastoring is more than mental work. It is heart work. It is heart work. It is the pastor's own heart being spent to exhaustion as he gives himself fully to the Lord's call and the Lord's people. Moreover, it is heart work from the standpoint of where the pastor is actually ministering to the church. He is working to reach their soul, nourishing them in the faith, building them up in Christ, and doing all he can by what God has given him to help the church grow and mature as faithful followers in Christ. Now, beloved, mark it down. There is nothing easy about this kind of work. Nothing. For not only do pastors have to work on the spiritual state of their own hearts, both as a Christian and an overseer of the church, and that's hard enough, but they also have to be much at work on the hearts of God's people. And this is where the work of pastoring becomes most discouraging and depressing. Consider again the words of Charles Spurgeon. On this point, and I want you to listen real carefully to these next words. Spurgeon writes, One crushing stroke has sometimes laid the minister very low. The brother most relied upon becomes a traitor. seen that recently Judas lifts up his heel against the man who trusted him and the preacher's heart for the moment fails him we are all too apt to look to an arm of flesh and from that propensity many of our sorrows arise equally overwhelming is the blow when an honored and beloved member yields to temptation and disgraces the holy name with which he was named anything spurgeon says listen anything is better than this this makes the preacher long for a lodge in some vast wilderness where he may hide his head forever and hear no more the blasphemous jeers of the ungodly Ten years of toil do not take so much life out of us as we lose in a few hours by the traitor or the apostate. The trials of a true minister are not few, and such 
as are caused by ungrateful professors are harder to bear than the coarsest attacks of avowed enemies. Let no man who looks for ease of mind and seeks the quietude of life enter the ministry. If he does so, he will flee from it in disgust. Now, in light of these very pointed words by Spurgeon, I honestly hope in some way that you can see why pastors can actually be discouraged and depressed and tragically would even succumb to leave the ministry altogether. But of course, the most pressing question for us should be this. How can pastors overcome such discouragements that would bring them to leave the ministry? How do I I overcome this as a pastor? Spurgeon's answer to this question was that the pastor should not be dismayed by soul trouble. He exhorted his fellow ministers to put no trust in frames or feelings. He said, care more for a grain of faith than a ton of excitement. Trust in God alone and lean not on the needs of human help. And then Spurgeon said, be not surprised when friends fail you. We live in a failing world. Now the redeeming quality of exhortations like these is that they give God's under-shepherd practical helps he can work on himself. As obviously I have for all these years. But when we turn to the word of God, we see that there's more to, the, to, to cure the hard affliction of a discouraged pastor than even the biblical wisdom offered by the saintly Spurgeon. On a much larger scale, to keep men of God encouraged to press in faithfulness to shepherd God's sheep, the word of God calls upon the church itself, you, calls upon you to take a direct role in this endeavor. In other words, the assembled congregation of God's people have a divine, listen, you have a a divine mandate to encourage your pastors to shepherd them with joy. And this mandate comes from Hebrews 13, verse 17. We read again, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. How is the church to treat their pastors? What does God expect? What does God demand? What does he demand of his people in the way they respond to those men of God in whose charge they have been placed? Hebrews 13, 17 is by far the clearest New Testament text in answer to these questions. So, as we move to our exposition of this passage, I want us to underscore first how pastors lead the church, and then second, how the church follows the pastors. Those are our two big points. To begin with, let's notice how the pastors lead the church. Reading again, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
Now, while the thrust of this passage is focused on the church congregation and how they are to treat the pastors, there is a clear revelation given as to the nature of pastoral work and specifically how the pastors of the church are to lead God's people. In the second half of the opening sentence in this verse, the writer to the Hebrews says, of the church pastors, like yours truly, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And these words, we have what is the principal dynamic of pastoral leadership. Pastors are to be ever watching over the spiritual welfare of those believers entrusted to their care. Moreover, this watchfulness carries with it a weighty responsibility. The pastors must give an account to Christ himself as to both the nature of their pastoring and the people they pastor. Now, to come in closer to this text, let's break down more carefully the meaning of these words and their application to the pastors. In the first place, the pastors lead the church by watching. They lead the church by watching, for they are keeping watch over your souls. The verb translated watch comes from a Greek word that means quite literally to be sleepless. To be sleepless. Used here as a present active indicative, the charge of God to his under shepherds is to be unceasingly vigilant for the spiritual care and protection of his sheep. This means that to faithfully guard those believers entrusted to their care, the pastors must know intimately the state and condition of their souls. Moreover, they must maintain a spiritual alertness and discernment as to where the church body is as a whole and to do everything to protect them from those things that would hinder and hurt them in their walk with Christ. Writing once on this awesome task of pastoring, A.W. Pink made this observation. The true under-shepherds of Christ have no selfish aims, but rather the spiritual and eternal good of those who are entrusted to their care. Many a minister of the gospel is often awake, burning the midnight oil while the members of his flock are asleep. I can testify, yes. Many a one can say, I will, verily, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. The ministerial office is no idler's one. It makes demands on heart, mind, and nervous energy such as none other does. Now, to fan out in a more comprehensive picture of what the pastors do in their watching over the souls of God's saints. Phil Newton, Phil Newton, in his exposition of Hebrews 13, 17, he underscored four principal ways that the pastors keep watch. Four principal ways. First, they're to watch for dangerous doctrines and false teachings. This is the very counsel, warning, and command which Paul the Apostle issued forth to the pastors of the Ephesian church. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31, Paul declared, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to take care, to, that is, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. In light of this passage, Phil Newton wrote, Spiritual leaders 
need to keep their fingers on the pulse of doctrine and teaching in a church. Surely more heresies, half-truths, and pseudo-doctrines than we can imagine are being passed off as truth. Therefore, watchfulness of a congregation demands attentiveness to the church's theological understanding. As Newton remarked, neglect of theology cracks the church's foundation and ultimately affects its practice. Second, the pastors must keep on the alert for deceitful behavior within the church. Keep on the alert for deceitful behavior within the church. How many pastors have allowed ambitious, self-seeking, power-hungry men and women to rise up and overtake a local church all because they, the pastors, were asleep and not alert to looming danger breeding among the congregation? The pastors must always be watchful not to allow a diatrophies to subtly take charge and usurp the authority of the church and its leaders. Do you know who Diotrephes is? Turn to 3 John, the book of 3 John. When was the last time you turned to the book of 3 John? (laughs) 3 John, verses 9 and 10. The apostle John writing... I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to do what? To put himself first, to have the preeminence, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring it up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, who want to and puts them out of the church. We've had, we've had a diatrophies even here five years ago before the majority of you were ever here. We had a diatrophies. And the Lord put him out in a matter of two weeks. Gone. Thank God. Third, the pastors must keep alert to divisive behaviors. Divisive behaviors. On this point, Newton mused, Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could make a wish and watch all divisiveness in churches blow away? But that is not reality. We will always face that battle in the church of Jesus Christ. Spiritual leaders have the responsibility to stand firmly against divisiveness by rebuking, admonishing, and even leading the way in exercising discipline. Leaders arrest such rending of the church. Fourth. Pastors must keep alert to the church's spiritual development. Now, what does this involve? It includes the positive aspect of knowing, teaching, and encouraging spiritual growth in the church, paying attention to the content offered the church in times of instruction, and how members respond. Hence, you wonder why I ask you such questions about, so were you edified today? How did the word I'm not fishing for a compliment. I'm wanting to know, has the word of God impacted you today? And how has it done so? 
That's the reason why. I'm so glad I was able to finally make that clarification after all these years. He says, and how members respond gives the pastors, gives the pastors, and listen, gives the pastors a better grasp of the church's maturity and ability to discern false teaching. That's what I'm looking for. But the pastors do not only, they do not lead only by watching. Only by watching. Looking again in our text, we see something else. We see that the pastors lead the church by their accountability. By their accountability. The writer to the Hebrews says, as those who will have to give an account. I will have to give an account. Now, there is certainly an accountability that the pastors have to the church itself. I to you. Since the church is responsible to confirm and call men qualified to lead, then the church should rightly hold the pastors responsible to fulfill their God-given mandate. Okay, You have that responsibility to me. But here in our text... The accountability referred to is not directly to the church, but to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who has given his church these men called to be pastors so that they may shepherd his people by his rule and authority. Thus, in his leadership of the church, the faithful biblical pastor is always mindful that how careful he leads, directs, and teaches God's people, he will answer to Christ himself. For all he has done. Thus a pastor cannot play loose and fast. With how he teaches God's word. Since as Paul reminded Timothy. He preaches the word in view of Christ's coming judgment. Moreover everything the pastors build on the gospel of Christ. By the discharge of their ministries will ultimately be scrutinized and evaluated by Jesus himself if, if it is worthy to be deemed as truly faithful and honoring to the Lord. Furthermore, there is an, there is an accounting the, pastor, the pastors give to Christ on a daily basis as they intercede in behalf of the churches in their charge. These are huge and weighty matters for all men of God who shepherd the church of God. So then for pastors to faithfully lead the church they are ever watching over the spiritual welfare of the church through teaching preaching counseling directing and they do this with their consciences pressed by the awesome reality that they will answer to the Lord Jesus Christ for everything everything they have done in caring for his sheep this is how the pastors lead the church but from considering the pastors and their leadership of the church, let's now turn to what is actually the main point of Hebrews 13, 17. The main point of this text. And that is how the church follows the pastors. Reading again Hebrews 13, 17, and truly notice who this is directed to. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them, the pastors, let them do this with joy 
and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, from this passage and a couple of other New Testament texts, there are six mandates given to the church and how God expects his people to treat the pastors. First, by submitting to them conscientiously. By submitting to them conscientiously. Look at what the text says. I'm not making this up. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Not my idea. Not my rule. The rule of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Both verbs translated obey and submit are used as present imperatives. This means that when it comes to how the church treats those men whom God has called to lead his people, the word of God demands, demands obedience and submission. Demands it. Understand this. Obey and submit are commands. They're not suggestions. They're not options. These are commands. And the meaning of these terms, the meaning of these two terms, carry the idea of obediently following the pastors because you trust them, recognizing the God-ordained authority invested in them as church leaders. Furthermore, based on the immediate context of Hebrews 13, 17, the church is to obey and submit to the pastors because why? Because why? Because they, the pastors, are keeping watch over your souls as those who must, who must give an account. That's why you obey and submit. In other words, this is a divine motivating factor for obedience and submission to the, to the church pastors. Look at what they are sacrificing in your behalf tirelessly watching over the care and welfare of your soul. Following their leadership in this work, they render in your behalf. This is the sense of what the writer to the Hebrews is getting at. Let's, let's also not forget that the pastors, as God's appointed leaders in the church, represent Christ himself to the people. Hmm. They are his under shepherds. His. His. Crystallizing this point in John 13, verse 20, Jesus said, He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Commenting on this verse in relation to pastors, John MacArthur made this observation. Listen to what Johnny Mac said. When a man is placed in the rule of a local church, our submission and obedience to him is equivalent to submission and obedience to Christ. I could not say that in a Southern Baptist church without, without being hauled off on a rail out, like that moment. They wouldn't stand for it. Beloved, if we think for a moment that this notion is far-fetched, I want you to remember what Romans 13 verses 1 and 2 says about those people in authority. 
Now, this, this gets under our American skin. We don't like this. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2 says this about people in authority. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You say, does that include pastors? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know why? Because God has appointed pastors with his authority, his authority to lead the church. Thus, listen now, thus to resist the pastors in their leadership is to resist what God has appointed. That's kind of serious, you know. Because then who are you answering to? You're not answering to the man of God. You're answering to the God of the man. Consider what Phil Newton wrote in this regard. How is the church to respond to those who keep watch over your souls? The congregation can obey and submit, or it can stiffen and rebel. There is no middle ground, for apathy is simply quiet rebellion. If you see the value of spiritual leadership and you recognize that God has placed that leadership in the church for your benefit, then the only response is to obey and submit to such spiritual leaders. Those rebelling commit spiritual anarchy. And we have definitely seen that here. Spiritual anarchy. But at this point, a very, cru very crucial question must be raised. Does the church blindly obey and submit to whatever the pastors tell them to do? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. So before any of you run out here and go, he is just so authoritarian. No. There's a limit to my authority. There's a limit. The authority of the pastors, pay close attention to this, the authority of the pastors goes only as far as they are faithful and obedient to God's word in their teaching and conduct. This is the limit of my authority. This right here. The word of God. Insofar as pastors teach the doctrines and commands of Jesus Christ, insofar as they do that, they are to be heard and obeyed. And obeyed. The pastors must always know their place and to remember their limitations. So then the obedience and submission of the church to the pastors is limited. It is limited to the obedience and submission of the pastors to the word of God. It's honestly, it's no different than what you see in a Christian marriage. 
no different. Wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. The submission of a wife to her husband is not an absolute submission. It's not unconditional. It's not without reservation. It's not without caution. It's not without discernment. If your husband is leading you into sin and thereby he's not following Christ, you, dear sister, had better not follow him. Then you're being disobedient to Christ. And you'll answer for that. You'll answer for that. The husband has a strict limit to his authority over his wife. Pastors have a strict limit to their authority over the church. Limited. By the word of God. Second. The church. The church relates to the pastors. By respecting them highly. By respecting them highly. This is certainly implied in our text by the command to obey and submit to the pastors. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 and 13. This mandate to highly respect the pastors is commanded with clarity. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Based on this passage, the the respect engendered by the church to their pastors is to have the highest loving regard for them, not because of their personalities or the favors they render, but because of their work. That's what the text says, because of their work. Well, well, what is their work? What is it? It is teaching, preaching, watching, interceding, admonishing the church of Christ. That's my work to you. When, When the church thinks of their pastors, they should always be mindful of what these men of God are doing in their behalf for Christ's sake and show them. Show them the highest respect in love because of this very sacred, high vocation. Third, the church relates to the pastors by imitating them deliberately. By imitating them deliberately. Now, this point keeps us in Hebrews chapter 13, but looking at verse 7. Verse 7, look at verse 7 of Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. That verb imitate, by the way, is a command. You are commanded to imitate my faith considering the outcome of my way of life. So since the pastors are to lead by example, according to 1 Peter 5, verse 3, the church is responsible to scan closely the lives of their pastors and imitate them wherever faithfulness and obedience to Christ is found. Adding a little more light to this, Richard Phillips commenting on this text, Hebrews 13, 7, he wrote this. Note what it is we are to imitate in leaders and teachers of God's word 
not their worldly methods, not their sins, some of which we may come to know, not their fancies or foibles, but their faith. Imitate their faith. Study and reflect upon the times in their lives when they relied on the Lord and boldly stood with and for him. Observe that it was faith that gave their ministries power. It was faith that sustained them to the end. Through their example, resolve to trust the Lord, to firmly stand on his word, and to rely completely on his matchless grace, especially when others are giving way and times are hard. This is the greatest legacy any of us can impart from the pattern of our lives, and it is by providing such examples that Christian leaders most powerfully serve the Lord and his church. So the church relates to their pastors by imitating imitating their faith. It's deliberate, it's intentional. Fourth, the church relates to the pastors by praying for them fervently. Praying for them fervently. This point again keeps us in Hebrews 13, but now looking at verse 18, where the writer exhorts the church to pray for us. The reference to us is connected to the church leaders in verse 17. Now, this, exhor- this exhortation should really go without saying, but how often do the members of a church need to be reminded to pray for their pastors? To pray for your pastors is to demonstrate love for them. It demonstrates compassion for them and a due understanding that they, like you, are men who are frail, fallible, weak, and given to temptation as much as any other Christian is. Pray then in earnest for your pastor. On this matter, Charles Spurgeon once declared, let me have your prayers. He was saying this to his congregation. He says, let me have your prayers and I can do anything. Let me be without my people's prayers and I can do nothing. And I'd say the same thing to you. The same thing to this church family at PRBC. I need your intercession. So pray for your pastor. Fifth, the church relates to the pastors by letting them minister joyfully. Letting them minister joyfully. This point obviously takes us right back to our text here in Hebrews 13 verse 17 where the church is commanded, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. The plain meaning of these words is that it is the church's responsibility, your responsibility, to enable me as your pastor to lead with joy and satisfaction. That's your your responsibility. But how can the church accomplish this? How can you do that? It's only when the church is obedient and submissive to the watch care which pastors are giving them for the sake of Christ. Yet I dare say how few churches, how very few churches is there that seem to really follow through on this mandate. I mean, this is not even a category for most Christians. And of course, I discover this when I take when I take uh, candidates for membership in this church through new members class and And the book that we go through by Earl Blackburn, Jesus Loves the Church and So Should You. Brother Blackburn goes through this text, Hebrews 13, 17. And it's like this illuminating, for the most part, for most people who go through new members class, 
they're like totally illuminated to this. They're like, was that even in the Bible? I didn't, I didn't even know that verse was even in the Bible. I mean, much less the mandate of what this text is saying and, and what it's pressing on me as a church member. I want you to listen to what John MacArthur wrote about this. John MacArthur said, It is a serious and all too common thing for stubborn, self-willed people in church congregations to rob their pastors of the joy God intends faithful pastors to have. Failure to properly submit brings grief rather than joy to pastors and consequently brings grief and displeasure to God who sends them to minister over us. And every church member should go, ooh, that was convicting. So if I may be so bold as if I even have to ask your permission for that because I am anyway, let me ask you this question, okay? Do you want your pastor to minister to you with joy, with joy because of your obedience and submission to his leading you in the word of God? Do you really want me to lead you in joy? Or, or do you want to cause your pastor painful grief because of your self-willed, stubborn rebellion against God's word? Which is it? Honestly, which is it? Which side do you really want to be on? Which side do you want to be on? What kind, of, what kind of church member do you really want to be in relation to your pastor? I can tell you, beloved, what God wants. Are you listening? I can tell you what God wants. He says it right here in his word. God wants you to liberate your pastor to shepherd you with joy and not with grief. And that is what Hebrews 13, 17 plainly says. Obey and submit to the watch care of the pastors. And by this, by this, they, the pastors, will have joy as they work to shepherd you. That's the whole sense of this text. And what a heavy responsibility that puts on you does the church member you think i have my responsibilities you have yours that is your responsibility to enable me to minister to you with joy six the church relates to the pastors by anticipating spiritual blessing instrumentally by anticipating spiritual blessing instrumentally. This final point is clearly implied by the very last clause in Hebrews 13, 17. Look at what it says. For that would be of no advantage to you. That would be of no advantage to you. These last words are an evident warning to the church as to how they treat the pastors. This is a warning from God. If a church rebels and resists the faithful ministry of faithful pastors, then that church will pay a high price for its spiritual anarchy. God's word says that it will be of no advantage to that church. No advantage. What does that term mean? No advantage. 
It literally means harmful. Harmful. Fanning out this consequence, A.W. Pink made this observation. Listen very, very closely to this, beloved. Listen. For the members of a church to so conduct themselves as to be a constant source of grief unto their minister is to despise their own mercies. If it not only prevents their receiving his instruction into their hearts, which results in their spiritual barrenness, but it also saps his vigor, quenches his zeal, causing him to proceed with a heavy heart instead of with cheerfulness. What is still more solemn and serious, the Lord himself is highly displeased and the tokens of his favor are withdrawn for he is very sensitive of the mistreatment of his stewards. Who? God is watching. He's watching every member of every church and how they treat the man of God. One of the great biblical principles we need to take away from this is that Christ, listen, Christ does not exercise his rule over the church directly, but by mediation. By mediation. Very specifically, the Lord rules his church through those men he has gifted and given to the church for that purpose, namely the pastors. Therefore, the church advances in spiritual blessing through the faithful leadership of its pastors. Hence, when the church obeys and submits to the watch care of its pastors, then believers can expect, can actually expect great spiritual blessing. Because as they are liberating their pastors to lead with joy, they are at the same time receiving joy by the work God has enabled his under-shepherds to carry out in behalf of his people. John MacArthur put it this way. You will never find a truly happy pastor apart from a happy congregation or a happy congregation apart from a happy pastor. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. Which is to say, beloved, that everything I'm doing here in your behalf at Providence as your pastor I'm not doing this on my own. I'm not doing this apart from you. And everything you're doing as a member of this congregation, you're not doing all on your own. We work together. We are in this together. Well, returning to the great leading question that I raised at the very beginning of this study. How can pastors overcome such discouragements that would bring them to leave the ministry? How do they overcome it? What do you suppose our answer is from Hebrews 13, verse 17? The church is responsible to encourage their pastors to lead with joy only, only as they obey and submit to the watch care which any faithful pastor will give. When such a relationship like this is working and developing within a church, then that congregation will be greatly blessed with spiritual vigor and health and maturity. That's the great principal point of Hebrews 13, verse 17. Well, in closing this study on the whole, let me give us two final lessons 
Two final lessons. You'll see it there in your bulletin in the outline at the end. Two final lessons. First, the pastors must always remember that their authority and leadership is a stewardship. Like myself as a pastor, I, I have to always remember that my authority, my leadership is a stewardship. It is Jesus Christ, the head of the church, who has called, gifted, and raised up men to lead his church as his under-shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. I am one of his under-shepherds. No man or group of men have the right to impose on a local church their traditions, their ideas, their opinions as binding the conscience of God's people just because they carry the title of pastor, elder, overseer. All the pastors are by virtue of their calling and responsibilities the servants of Christ who lead his people by serving his will in obedience to his word. So pastors must always remember that their authority and leadership is a stewardship. Second, every Christian ought to be under the rule of Christ by placing him or herself under the rule of pastors of a particular local church. Not to do this, not to do this is an affront to Christ himself. It's an offense to Christ. The pastors are given by Christ to lead, watch, teach, care for the welfare of his church. For a Christian to reject this is to cut himself off from the very means of grace Christ has ordained for the growth of his church. How foolish then for any Christian to say, I don't need the church or her pastors. That is the acme of foolishness. It's also the acme of arrogance. But much worse than all of that, listen, it's disobedience to God. It's rebellion against God. God who has appointed for the believer's welfare, your welfare, the church and her pastors who together are to be heard and obeyed. A most critical, a most important lesson for every Christian to take heed to. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We thank you, Lord God, for the measureless, boundless wisdom by which you have created, ordained what is the church of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for that sacred office that your word describes as pastor elder, overseer. We thank you, Father, that certain Christian men within the body of Christ you 
lay your hand upon, you set apart, you equip, you grace with all things necessary to faithfully lead your people by example and obedience to you. And for such faithful men of God, Holy Father, we give you thanks. And we honor them highly in love because of their work. And Father, we thank you for the absolute clarity of your holy word that what we have looked at today truly puts every Christian who is a member of a local church on notice that how you treat your, your pastor, how you treat this man of God, this under-shepherd of Christ, Christ is watching you. Christ has mandated you to submit and obey them as they give watch over your soul as those who must give account. And I pray, Holy Father, that the Holy Spirit would take Hebrews 13, 17 and take the divine mandate of this portion of your Holy Word and seal it deep in the hearts of your saints that make up the church family, the congregation of Providence Reformed Baptist Church. Lord, I pray, burn this in the conscience of your saints that are here. That they will be very careful in realizing that you have a mandate, you have a command laid upon them, a responsibility given to them, indeed a privilege that they have to enable the under-shepherd given to them from Christ to minister to them with joy and not with grief. And I pray, Lord, that this will become a deep abiding conviction in your people that make up this, this church family, the people of God here at Providence Reformed Baptist Church. For, Lord, we know that it will be to the advantage of the saints here to follow through and obey your word in Hebrews 13, 17. It will be to the greater spiritual health and vigor of what Christ is building his church here. And so, Father, we pray for all the grace needed to be obedient to you to this end. For Jesus' blessed sake, in his name we pray. Amen. And amen.